Welcome to Once Upon a Die. My name is DA Xavier, and this is a podcast about solitaire board games, thematic or otherwise. This is episode Delta. On today's episode, I'm not going to look at one single game. Rather, this will be a quick rundown of my top 10 solitaire games of all time, along with reasons why they sit in that list, as well as a quick mention of the next 20 on the list. Now let's get the dice rolling. In order to generate my top 10, I used the excellent board game ranking generator program on the PubMeeple website. Working with a very simple system, it presents you with a number of A or B choices based upon a list of things that you inject. As you choose options, it slots the items into rankings behind the scenes until you get a fully ordered list out the other end. It takes a varying number of choices to actually get to that final list based upon whether you like A more than B and B more than C, which would be simple, or A more than B, B more than C, but C more than A. Uh, It slowly slots things into place and comes up with that final ranking, but I found it was a really interesting way of doing it, and I actually really enjoyed making some of those decisions. If you'd like to try it yourself, you can find the generator at pubmeeple.com. I fed the program every single game I have ever played solitaire, at least since I've been logging them on BoardGameGeek. That was a total of 137 games, and it took 657 matches to create my list. I deleted 29 games as I was doing the comparisons, realising that I didn't remember them well enough to consider, as I'd only played them once a long time ago, or I knew for a fact they were going to end up so far down the list it didn't really matter keeping them there, and I wanted to speed up the process a little. I ended up with a top 108. It took a while, but it was a lot of fun, as I say, considering whether I would prefer to play game A or game B, and some of the decisions were very hard to make. I will be the first to say that I was not wholly expecting the results to be what they are. I think that it proves that I don't always play the games I truly want to play, but settle for things I'm familiar with, or which I can reasonably expect to finish in the circumstances at the time. That said, my decisions were based on the assumption that time was not a consideration, and the last 18 months have offered me fewer opportunities for particularly long games, so that's also a part of why I haven't played some of these for a little bit longer than I might like. As a result, I'm making a 2019 gaming resolution to play more games on this list that don't hit the table nearly often enough. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and list the games in positions number 30 to 11 on my list. Number 30, Thunderbirds the board game. Number 29, Space Alert. Number 28, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Number 27, Welcome To. Number 26, Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Cursed Island. Number 25, Far Space Foundry. Number 24, Thanos Rising, Avengers Infinity War. Number 23, Grimslingers. Number 22, Mage Knight the Board Game. Number 21, Fireteam Zero. Number 20, Mistfall. Number 19, Legacy of Dragonholt. Number 18, Pandemic Rising Tide. Number 17, Terraforming Mars. Number 16, Founders of Gloomhaven. Number 15, Roleplayer. Number 14, Untold, Adventures Await. Number 13, Anachrony. Number 12, Hostage Negotiator. And number 11, Black Orchestra. 
There are definitely a couple of games I'm going to say right now are not going to be in the top 10 that some people think maybe should be. Gloomhaven is a great example. I do own it, and I have tried playing a couple of games, but I must admit I found it difficult to get into, and the circumstances that have presented themselves over the last 18 months or so have made it tricky for me to actually commit to starting the campaign. That is another 2019 gaming resolution for me. In addition, it's worth noting that the way that I chose these games was really based upon what I immediately felt when I saw the pairing, which game did I want to play more in that instant. Obviously, this kind of thing changes from moment to moment, but I think that the next ten are going to be interesting, and I hope that the little descriptions I give and the reasons why they are there are of interest to you guys. So on to the top ten. Number ten. Shakespeare with the Backstage Expansion. A later entry onto the list, I only played Shakespeare's Solitaire for the first time in late November of 2018. In fact, in my 2016 retrospective, it actually got the award for the game with a Solitaire option that I'd only had a chance to play multiplayer so far. The theme of this game is so enjoyable and identifiable for me as someone who's worked in many fields in theatre before that it had to go on this list. Shakespeare is a fantastic worker placement game that sees you writing, designing and rehearsing a play in six days before a performance in front of Queen Elizabeth on day seven. You will hire actors, designers, jewellers, and more as you rush to do the best job that you can with the small amount of time that's available. You can get points by costuming actors well, building your setup a lot, writing good quality acts of your play, of which there are three, and completing objectives you can obtain during the game. In addition, in the multiplayer game, you bid before each round for turn order, but you do so by deciding how many of your five workers you will use that round. The person who bids fewest goes first, but only gets that many actions. For this reason, I recommend the Backstage expansion. It's one of those expansions that I will never play the game without, since the workers that you don't use out front are available to do powerful actions backstage, like refurbishing your theatre itself, hiring directors, finding extra costume or set pieces, or raising morale by taking your team to the tavern. Without the expansion, the workers you don't bid are lost and useless to you, and the game would have been lower on the list without it, even though this is a list of solitaire play. However, with it, there is actually even merit to having more workers backstage if the cards available that turn are of particular value to you. The solitaire play is excellent, and you essentially play to beat your score, with the game upping the quality of an unknown other play, which gives you targets to beat. You don't have to bid for turn order, of course, but the backstage area is still valuable. You can choose freely between sections as you play solitaire, but every actor or designer that you use each turn in your front of house area, except for one, either solitaire or multiplayer this is, will be unavailable for the next turn, so you're still incentivized to place some of your workers in the backstage area so that you don't have to put all of them there on your next turn. This game has not yet been featured on Once Upon a Die, but it will be in the future. Number 9. The Pursuit of Happiness. This is a game that I found out about by watching Board Game Geek TV, and for almost two years I kept occasionally going back to that episode and thinking how much I would enjoy that game. Finally, I purchased a copy, and I love it. The game sees you live your life through up to eight stages. Childhood is just a quick card draft, but then the first stage sees you as a teenager buying items for yourself and beginning passion projects. And then from stage two and onwards, you're an adult, and you may also begin a career and have a relationship with someone. This is a very enjoyable worker placement game which succeeds exceptionally well at representing the progress of someone's life. You are working to gain points, known in this game as long-term happiness, and you get these in a multitude of different ways. Completing projects, progressing relationships, being happy in your career, and completing the requirements of your childhood dreams, to name a few. 
The workers that you place in this game are hourglasses, representative of time, and they will be required not only to take actions in the first place, but also during the upkeep phase of each round to commit time to your career and relationship. If you work during your life towards being a healthy and happy person, you will de-stress, earning more workers later in the game. Stress yourself out, and you will lose workers as you find yourself able to do less with the time that you have. Perhaps most significantly, your stress skyrockets as you move into old age in the last three rounds, and you're able to do fewer actions in those rounds. And somewhere between the ends of round six and eight, you will die, at which point your game is complete. Therefore, if you are particularly stressed, you may not even get to play the eighth or even seventh round. While this may sound like a depressing end, the pursuit of happiness makes for an excellent game that feels satisfying to progress through as you complete or improve your various situations and projects, and I will be doing a podcast episode on this soon. Number 8. Legacy, the Testament of Duke de Crecy, the Testament Variant. To those who understand what genealogy is about, it might not seem like the most logical theme for a game. However, the Testament Variant of Legacy, the Testament of Duke de Crecy, manages to do a fantastic job of it. The game sees you researching your family history in order to prove your claim to the Dukedom of Crecy, using worker placement as the primary mechanism. You have only a couple of base actions per turn, though bonus workers can be obtained during the course of the game. This limitation means that you can just achieve what you need to with a very small amount of leeway, which creates the right amount of tension for my taste. This year, I procured the Five Families expansion, but I think in general I prefer the modules that deal with the multiplayer game in that. The Solitaire Edition is interesting, but the couple of times I've tried it so far, I found it leading me away from the goals I'm working towards, which is costly with so few actions available to take anyway. It's possible I haven't quite worked out the best strategy when including it, so I'll be giving this another go. Legacy the Testament of Duke de Crecy was featured in episode 6 of Once Upon a Die. Number 7. This War of Mine, the board game. This War of Mine, for those who don't know it, is an IP that was originally a video game available on Steam, and more recently on mobile devices. But in between those releases, I think, came the board game. Unforgiving, sombre, and optionally quite graphic in its depiction of its subject matter, this War of Mine, in either iteration, sees you playing as civilians during a war in the fictional town of Pogorin in Eastern Europe, simply trying to last out the war that rages all around you. The IP is inspired by the almost four-year-long Siege of Sarajevo, which began in 1992. The game is a limited action worker placement game, which sees you trying to turn a damaged house into a home to last out both the war and the bitter winter that encroaches on you each turn in the game. Every decision in this game is critical, and can completely change the course of events as you have to prepare to combat the cold, various degrees of banditry, and the dangers that face you as you scavenge for all important supplies at night. I don't believe that you really win this war of mine, rather you survive, and the condition to do so is that one of your original three civilians must make it through the game with all of their statuses, illness, hunger, misery, and so on, at no worse than half severity. I found this to be a serious and enjoyable challenge, as maintaining the balance between these statuses requires a lot of careful consideration. The game is also heavily story-based, featuring events that will happen at pretty much any point in a turn, which lasts one 24-hour period, and while they can be beneficial, many will throw a serious spanner into the works. This War of Mine will feature in episode 12 of Once Upon a Die, to be released early this year when I relaunch. Details on that to follow in episode Echo, which will be released later in January. Number 6. Scythe. Scythe was one of those games that came into the scene with a bang, and hasn't left. An asymmetric action selection game, it sees players competing to dominate Europa, shown on a beautiful board with a hex grid representing territories and several resource tracks and card decks. 
The story of Scythe's inception isn't much of a secret at this point. Based upon an alternate diesel punk history created through artwork by Jakob Rosalski called World of 1920+, it has what is to my awareness the unique distinction of being a thematic Eurogame inspired by a stunning and very detailed art collection. Featuring five factions in the base box, along with two more in the Invaders from Afar expansion and another two that are revealed as you play through the campaign in the Rise of Fenris expansion, huge variety is created just by the fact that each faction has unique powers, strengths and weaknesses, and that is only enhanced by the variable player mats, which result in a multitude of different combinations and strategies. The Solitaire game sees you facing off against an Automa, created for the game by the Automa Factory. This AI reacts to where your pieces are, as well as its own, and rapidly advances along a track that will first unlock one of its abilities, and then begin to earn its stars automatically. These stars are the achievements that a player can complete, and the player who gets their sixth star on the track immediately ends the game, including the AI when playing Solitaire. At that time, money is awarded for several factors, and the richest player wins. Since the game is transparent on information, it's therefore possible to calculate in the last couple of turns whether you are capable of defeating the AI, and the tension as you race to earn as much as possible before it ends the game is palpable. There are also different levels of AI that gain stars and abilities faster or slower. I have only faced the lowest level, but even that was a challenge, and solo gameplay rewards practice and adaptation of strategy. Scythe will be featured on Once Upon a Die in due course. Number 5. Machina Arcana, 1st Edition. Back in Once Upon a Die episode Charlie, my 2016 retrospective mentioned earlier, which was released on January 10th, 2017, I gave Machina Arcana the Game That Has Been Impossible For Me To Play So Far award for the unfortunate reason that I'd been unable to comprehend the rules fully after multiple attempts and runs through the rulebook. Finally, in November of 2018, I put the box on the table again, and with the help of some online resources that I'll credit in the full episode dedicated to the game, I managed to play it. And it was awesome. A steampunk Lovecraftian dungeon crawl, it sees you progressing through chapters of a story by moving your characters around a grid board, fighting the hideous creatures of the Cthulhu mythos, uncovering and upgrading powerful weapons, and lighting the chapter light on the board to progress the story to the next chapter. This scenario setting makes for a tense game, as not only is getting to the chapter light sometimes very challenging, depending upon the monsters you face and the orientation of the board, but you never know what the next chapter will throw at you. While it might be a rest and a chance to take stock, it might increase the monster or terror tracks so that bad things happen more frequently. Still, while the story itself is sparse, it is just enough to get you truly engaged. This is a long game. The first scenario took me about two and a half hours to play through, but it was engrossing and had my attention from beginning to end. It seems difficult to lose at first, requiring the death of every character available in the game, as far as I can see. But the monsters that are out on the board might well be too powerful for a new character coming into the game to defeat, and I had a couple of hairy moments playing this when I thought I would lose. I managed not to, and eked out a win, but it was definitely close. Machina Arcana will feature on Once Upon a Die soon. It is also worth noting that a second edition of Machina Arcana is on the way, and my understanding from the couple of YouTube videos I have seen on it is that it clears up a lot of the complications in the rulebook and streamlines the game a little, so don't be put off by my initial description of it in this episode. Number 4. Arkham Horror The Card Game In my 2016 retrospective, this game got the I'm glad they didn't screw that up award, as I was worried about having my favourite game turned into a card reduction of what is a very epic board layout. I shouldn't have and needn't have worried. Arkham Horror The Card Game is an extraordinary experience, and I highly recommend this to anyone who loves storytelling, horror and adventure games. 
The base game starts you out in your study, but something is wrong. Soon you realise you can't get out, there is no door, and you have to find that door in order to escape your own house, in which you find several monstrous creatures and a very difficult to beat beastie that took me out the first three times I tried playing this game. Eventually I worked out the flow and strategy to the game and beat that first scenario, and I entered an awesome story-driven world where, campaign style, the world of the next game changed because of my actions. The third scenario blew my mind with what it did using a simple deck of cards, and that's just the base box. I believe that several expansions play with the cards and their layout in even more interesting ways, and this is a rabbit hole I am diving into headfirst this year, singing the praises of Mighty Cthulhu. Okay, that's a bit extreme, but I love it. I will be podcasting it soon, and unlike this description, that podcast will be full of spoilers for the first scenario. Number three. Mansions of Madness, second edition. While the storytelling of Arkham Horror the card game is extraordinary, I do think that Mansions of Madness just pips it to the post for me. Where the first edition was a wonderful one-versus-many experience, I've only had one chance to play so far. The second edition turns the bad guy into an app, and has everybody working together to defeat the scenario. This allows for adjustments in the scenario from game to game that players are not aware of until they come across them, thereby increasing replayability from the first edition. The base box comes with several great scenarios, and there are expansions that add to what is available there in terms of scenarios only, requiring in-app purchase, and others that add new components as well, requiring the purchase of a new box. The evolving story in this is fantastic, and even playing the same scenario over again does not tire, as small differences change the experience, your success and failure at puzzles that must be completed on the tablet screen change the tension of the game, and there is the ever-present enjoyment of stopping the plans of the Great Old Ones and their minions. While some people do not like app integration into board games, I would say that this is one game that benefits hugely from it. For starters, setup in the original board game left room for mistakes, as one card out of its correct place could make it almost impossible for the players to win. It is also easier to get to the table, as one player does not need to know extra information to play as the one versus the many. And it adds solo play, which I will very obviously never complain about. I'm yet to purchase any expansions to this, but I'm looking forward to doing so in the near future. Mansions of Madness will definitely be getting a podcast episode in due course. Number two. XCOM The Board Game This is a complete no-brainer for me, and when, while I was momentarily surprised to find that Arkham Horror was no longer in my top ten, I would have been completely flabbergasted had XCOM been anywhere but in my top three. I will play this game any day and have an incredible time doing so, though it actually hasn't hit the table as much recently. I intend to rectify that in the next couple of weeks. Following on from my comments on Mansions of Madness, this is, I think, the best example I have played of a game that requires and benefits from having app integration. It casts you as XCOM, the extraterrestrial combat unit, trying to fend off an alien invasion of Earth. Based upon the reboot of the XCOM franchise of video games, the soldiers, aliens, and all-round milieu of the game will be familiar to anyone who knows the series, but is also accessible to those who do not know it. The app acts as the alien player, and generates attacks and counterattacks based upon the alien's overall plan, invasion, abduction, and so on. This will determine where and when the aliens attack on the globe, or in your own base, but also dictate when you as the player or players are allowed to take actions, how long you have, and, if you leave too many UFOs undefeated in space, whether the information provided to you is timely or reliable. The calculations provided by the app will be very hard to realise without an electronic component, and XCOM's execution of this is perfect, in my view. I covered XCOM in Once Upon a Die episode 4. Since that time I have purchased the expansion, but that was very recent and it is yet to hit the table for me. I will report on that once I have played it. And last, and completely the opposite of least, number 1. Pandemic Legacy Seasons 1 and 2. 
While I entered the Pandemic Legacy series into the Pub Meeple algorithm, I was fully expecting it to be at the number one spot on this list, and so I included both games as a single entry so as not to take up two spaces on my top ten. It wouldn't have mattered had I not done so. One of them at least would have been here, and the other one would have been in second place. There is comparatively little I can say about this without spoiling it, but it is by far the best storytelling experience I've had in board gaming. Playing through the Season 1 campaign had me on the edge of my seat at times, and I vocally exclaimed my shock on at least three occasions during my playthrough when certain events happened. The game is based on Pandemic, which, for those of you who might not know it, sees you trying to cure four virulent diseases that are threatening to wipe out the world's population. It is no spoiler to say that by the end of Game 1 of Pandemic Legacy Season 1, you are no longer playing base Pandemic, and things will be different from then on. The campaign runs a potential 24 games, each one representing a month in a year, with a second chance to play each month if you fail first time, which you will do at least a couple of times during a campaign. I believe I played 21 games for mine. I'm only on the fifth month so far in Season 2, but it tells a completely different story set 70 years after Season 1, though there has been no need, at least as far as I've got through the game, to have knowledge of the first campaign to play it. Still, I would recommend playing both anyway, just because they are so good. It will surprise no one, I am sure, to know that after a flat minimum of 12, I would even say a flat minimum of 15 games of the world being battered by diseases, it is not in the best condition, and recovering from that is proving to be a fabulous experience. The jury will obviously be out on which game I think is better until I complete Season 2, but you cannot go wrong with either one of these. I'm planning to release an episode covering the first game of a Season 1 campaign in due course. I will not go further than that so as not to spoil any more of the story, but I would like to do that much, and I feel that the statute of limitations is now well past. So there it is, my top 10 solitaire games of all time, correct as of December 29th, 2018. My taste is very story heavy right now, and I've been through periods where I lean a little more towards the puzzles, but I don't see story ever having less than probably a 70% importance to me. I didn't even notice as I was writing the script for this episode, but as I am speaking it out loud, I realise that there's also a surprising amount of worker placement in there, which I think is a mechanism I've grown to love more and more throughout 2018. I've said for the longest time that my favourite game is Arkham Horror, so I was momentarily taken aback to see that it wasn't even in the top 30. It came in at number 61. This is, of course, the second edition. I have not yet had the opportunity to play third. However, looking at the fact that Mansions of Madness and Arkham Horror the Card Game are both in the top five, that actually doesn't surprise me that much. I realised that it had set the scene for the games that followed it, but also for my gaming tastes, and I have discovered more involved games with more fluid storytelling, and it doesn't surprise me in the least to see that most of my top games have a fairly hefty storytelling element to them. I've no doubt that the list will shift again soon, and I'm already playing or lining up games that I feel will infiltrate at least the top 30, and a couple of them will almost certainly hit the top 10. There are also a couple of excellent games that just missed the list because something similar is there. For example, Roleplayer's theme just beat out the beauty and excellent solitaire mode of Sagrada, which came in at number 32. Other games like Gloomhaven and Pandemic Fall of Rome never had a chance of being on the list because I haven't played them yet. However, I hope to do so soon, and we'll see what happens after that. That's it for this episode of Once Upon a Die, but I will be releasing episode Echo before the end of the month, announcing the full relaunch of the podcast and discussing some plans that I have for this year. You'll notice I've not put any other time constraints on upcoming plans in this episode, largely because of how often I did that previously and then was unable to keep to those times. I'm doing some planning in the first part of this year, as I want to have a regular schedule of episodes coming out by the end of the year. I will keep you all updated on that as I progress. For now, thank you for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon. This has been Once Upon a Die. I would love to know what you think. Please do get in touch with me to let me know your thoughts via my guild on boardgamegeek.com, 
guild number 2525, by following me on Twitter at Upon a Die Podcast, on Instagram at Once Upon a Die Podcast, or by emailing me at onceuponadie at gmail.com. I would also love a review on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast, as that is a fantastic way of getting the word out and having more people listen to the show. If you like it, please do tell your friends as well. If you are yet to listen to any of my previous episodes, please do so. This is very atypical of what I do. The episodes with a phonetic alphabet letter are very much kind of interjections or uh, slightly different topics, whereas predominantly I focus on looking at a single game. The episodes that are already there, which are numbered, will be the typical Once Upon a Die fair. Every odd-numbered episode, with the exception of episode 1, features a less thematic game, and I just talk about it for 10-15 minutes, whereas the even-numbered episodes, and episode 1, include that same discussion, but also contain a radio drama, which was written by me, based upon a single playthrough of the Solitaire game. Until the next episode, thank you again for listening, and keep rolling those dice until the game is done. Once Upon a Die is a Dragon Literature production, presented and edited by D.A. Xavier. This podcast is not affiliated with any games companies. Copyright for all game characters and materials remains with respective owners. The theme music is Distortion in Blues by FMGW, licensed purchased from audiojungle.net. Random fact of the episode. As of the date of recording, there are 1,336 games listed on BoardGameGeek for one player only, out of 103,795 total games, which works out to be approximately 1.2%. I don't know about you, but that's actually quite a few more than I expected.